Beware the Ides of March. We're getting our Shakespeare on this morning. Good morning, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today from fledgling animation studio to global entertainment empire, Disney is celebrating 100 years of making magic. Also this morning, they are frightening headlines for anyone with asthma or allergies. How concerned should patients with breathing difficulties be over a potential nationwide shortage of albuterol? In our community and business spotlight this morning, spotlighting the many volunteer opportunities in the community, facilitated by the United Way of Hancock County. And happening around town, it's time once again to go bowling for kids to support the Children's Mentoring Connection. We have details. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Wednesday, March 15th, 2023. Five days until spring. Five days is when you kind of get excited. It's sort of like, you know, when you go to the drive-in and they've got the uh, uh, countdown clock in between the features. Five minutes to go. (laughs) And, And you start to get excited for the second film. That's where I'm at right now in this uh, countdown to spring. Five days until spring. So, St. Patrick's Day is uh, Friday. we got the uh, countdown to that. And here is some good news for you. If you are Catholic uh, and you want to properly celebrate St. Patrick's Day, it falls during Lent. Uh, it falls, well, St. Patrick's Day always falls during Lent. But um, this year, St. Patrick's Day is on a Friday. And, of course, you know the tradition celebrating St. Patrick's Day is to have uh, corned beef. Well, for Catholics, that's a problem. So is there a special dispensation from the local archdiocese in Philadelphia uh, allowing Catholics to have corned beef, the traditional corned beef uh, dinner, on St. Patrick's Day Friday? Uh, It says here, Corned beef is St. Patrick's Day tradition, but if the holiday falls on a Friday and Catholics are supposed to abstain uh, from meat on Fridays, the Archdiocese of Philadelphia has granted an exception for this Friday and this Friday only, so that corned beef is literally back on the menu. The Archdiocese is asking Catholics to observe another penance if they choose to eat corned beef. But apparently uh, all is well, and uh, if you were conflicted about this, at least... In Philadelphia, Catholics in Philadelphia. Now, I'm not Catholic, so I don't know how this works. Uh, if the Archdiocese of Philadelphia issues the uh, this uh, dispensation or the, allows for this exemption, is that is that a blanket thing, or does it have to uh, come from each archdiocese individually? I don't know. Like I said, I'm not Catholic. I don't know. But maybe we'll get the Pope on this. You can just uh, settle the matter once and for all. But anyway, I thought that was good news, uh, so I uh, thought I would share. By the way, um, I don't know that St. Patrick's Day is a big date night necessarily, but if you're going out with friends for St. Patrick's Day or really any weekend, if you're going out with friends or on a date, um, this is kind of interesting. A new survey finds that uh, 67% of those... Well, no, let's try that again. I'm going to back up a little bit. 33% of Americans, one-third of Americans, do not believe that you should split the bill evenly uh, if, the, if the meals don't cost the same uh, when you're out on a date. Like I said, I don't know if St. Patrick's Day uh, is a big date night necessarily, but I thought it was interesting nonetheless. 67% of those in a relationship do not want to share their meal with a partner, uh, yet 48% have tried to sneak some food off of someone else's plate. Um, so I don't know... Again, I don't know all of the details on that. I'm just getting the headlines uh, from the uh, story off the newswire here. So I don't know if the different rules apply if you're just you know out with friends and everybody orders something different and you kind of share everything, whether that's uh, okay. I guess if you know that going in, everything's copacetic. But anyway, um, when it comes to sharing etiquette, 23% say you should stick uh, you should stick the food on someone else's fork. Uh, 22% suggest putting the food on a separate plate. So, you know, hygiene, very important. Sharing food does have benefits, like finding uh, finding out that you like something that you've never tried before. So, you know, 
Find something new that you like. 49% of respondents say they have completely swapped plates after liking someone else's meal better than their own. (laughs) So anyway, that was kind of it. But 33% do not believe that the bill should be split evenly if uh, the uh, meals do not cost the same. I pay for you, yours, you pay for mine, and if yours are more expensive, then so be it. Uh, let's see. This is uh, rather disturbing news. A, a new survey of 1,000 U.S. adults finds 53% believe that they would be able to survive, that they have what it takes to survive a zombie apocalypse. 53% believe that they could, in fact, kill a zombie. And this comes up because apparently between March of 2019 and March of 2021, there has been a 2,000% increase in Google searches related to zombie preparedness. Uh, Now, this started back, they go all the way back to uh, March of 2019, so pre-pandemic, actually. You would think maybe the pandemic had something to do with that, but... Uh, it actually predates the uh, pandemic, a 2,000% increase in in Google searches related to zombie preparedness. I'm not sure exactly why this all of a sudden is a big concern, uh, but 58% of those in the survey believe that this terrifying uh, eventuality will happen within the next 30 years. Uh, 11% believe that zombies already exist. <laughs> and so if you are among the 11% that believe that zombies are already here or the 58% who believe that a zombie apocalypse will occur in the next 30 years, where do you want to be? Wyoming. Um, the best state to survive a zombie apocalypse. And it is not the first time that Wyoming has been so designated. A combination of lots of space and lots of guns <laughs> make Wyoming the place to be if things go all walking dead on us here. Uh, following Wyoming, Alaska, Vermont, and North and South Dakota round out the top five. Uh, all of the assets that make those states most survival uh, survivable. Um, let's see here. California is the least survivable. Uh, That ranked dead last among the states to survive a zombie apocalypse. Texas was number 49 and Florida number 48. Texas? Well, that's certainly not for the lack of firearms, I wouldn't think. Um, New York placed at 47th. Now, who would have thought that you would be less likely to survive a zombie apocalypse in Texas than you would in New York? But uh, anyway... Uh, 2,000% increase in searches for preparing for zombie apocalypse. A 41,000% increases, uh, 41,000% increase in searches for CDC zombie apocalypse. Really, is the CDC preparing for this, do you think? Um, hmm. Let's see. Is that 53% of respondents were confident that they know how to kill a zombie? In fact, the average American thinks that they could kill 39 zombies a day. Now, that's a pretty aggressive goal right there. If an outbreak did occur, 78% say that they would trust only themselves. 35% say that they would trust a friend. Only 35%. Well, you know who your friends are when you ask them that question. 22% say that they could count on their father or their brother Only 16% would count on their mom in a uh, zombie apocalypse situation. Really? Dad is more reliable than mom. Sorry, mom. Oh, and 66%, two-thirds, said that they could kill these family members if they turned. (laughs) So, you know, you think, uh, (laughs) well, mom and dad, you think that uh, your kids love you? Uh, maybe to a point, but if you turn, they got no problem wasting you. That's <laughs> in a zombie apocalypse. Every everyone for themselves, apparently. Uh, let's see. And uh, here is something interesting, because there is always something that we have to be worried about. So this is what we are worried about today. Uh, do you use a reusable water bottle? 
You know, you carry that. A lot of people do that now. Uh, they they have this uh, water bottle, maybe a Yeti or something like that, a water bottle uh, that is reusable. They fill it up, uh, drink from it throughout the day, and they do this day after day after day. Uh, and believe it or not, this might be, well, a study from Walt, waterfilterguru.com. Waterfilterguru.com. Study says that those reusable water bottles can contain 40,000 times more bacteria than your average toilet seat. Let me repeat that. Your reusable water bottle, re- refillable water bottle, can contain 40,000 times more bacteria than the average toilet seat. Now, uh, <laughs> if you're using a reusable water bottle thinking you're going green, that may turn you green. But keep in mind, as long as you're the only one drinking from your own bottle, you probably don't need to worry about it. Because as microbiologist Dr. Simon Clark at the University of Reading points out, water bottles are likely to be contaminated with the bacteria that are already in your mouth. And so you're not getting introducing any new bacteria to into your body that is not already in your body because that's where it came from when it contaminated the water bottle to begin with. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, it is a uh, an alarming headline with a 40,000 times less sanitary, more bacteria than a uh, toilet seat. But it's all your own bacteria anyway, unless you're sharing a water bottle, in which case all of that goes out the window. But the uh, point uh, is uh, wash it every now and then. That's You need to wash it every now and then. There you go. Some of the uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Wednesday morning started. WFIN News. I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather, partly to mostly sunny skies today, high of 45, increasing clouds tonight, low of 34. A task force says it executed a search warrant at a Finley business after receiving numerous complaints about it. The Hancock County Metric Drug Task Force, along with other agencies, executed the search warrant at Lucky Dragon Internet Cafe at 1107 Tiffin Avenue. The task force said the search stemmed from an ongoing investigation into several citizen complaints about the business, complaints that included the use and sale of illegal narcotics by patrons inside the business, an overdose, and illegal cash payouts from the gaming machines. Get more on this investigation on our website. A proposal to enshrine abortion rights in the Ohio Constitution is one step closer to appearing on the November ballot. The five-member ballot board unanimously approved to allow the proposed measure to move forward. The decision certified the measure was one issue instead of multiple. The amendment would protect abortion rights until the point when a fetus is viable. Now, organizers will have to gather enough signatures to get the measure on the ballot. They have until July 5th to submit at least 413,000. Ohio has enacted a six-week abortion ban, but the law is currently blocked in court. I'm Lindsay Mills. People dealing with the cleanup and fallout from the toxic train derailment in East Palestine, Ohio, now have something new to worry about, scammers. Local authorities are warning about individuals going door to door, impersonating personnel from the Centers for Disease Control and Norfolk Southern Rail Company. Currently, neither the CDC nor Norfolk Southern have personnel conducting any door to door operations. They recommend residents ask for identification and verify it before engaging with anyone who knocks on the door unannounced. Tracy Townsend, ONN News. Registration is open for the United Way of Hancock County Spring Days of Caring event. Last spring, we spoke with Whittier Primary School Principal Kelly Bauman as volunteers were helping out around the school. The partnership with community organizations in our school and our our district are so important for our students to see volunteers and for them to understand how important it is to give back. Learn more about Days of Caring and how you can help out with it on our website. Matt Demchek for 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Well, you know, in 1923, not many people had heard of Walt Disney or his fledgling animation studio. Today, the empire that bears his name is celebrating its 100th anniversary. And to honor the occasion, Disney Publishing is offering four special books. Walt Disney, an American original commemorative edition. The official Walt Disney quote book. 
The Art of Coloring, Disney 100 Years of Wonder, and the story of Disney 100 Years of Wonder. And with us this morning is the senior editor of Disney Editions, Jennifer Eastwood. Jennifer, this is a milestone that not many companies reach, and I wonder what Walt Disney himself would think of it, because remember, he was only around for the first 40 years or so. (laughs) That's so true. So I think that in all examples of Walt's life, both personal and professional, he always admired looking back to acknowledge and understand where he had come from, where our culture had come from, and then always wanted to look forward towards the future. And I think that in this moment with this anniversary, that that's the philosophy that we embodied to hopefully make Walt proud. <laughs> you know, we mentioned uh, many people would probably never have imagined in 1923 that Disney would grow into the empire that it is. But the reverse is also true. It is equally hard for many of us today to imagine a time when Disney wasn't the gold standard of animation and family entertainment. What it is? What is it like revisiting those early days? Well, I think that first and foremost, you have to say, well, why is it worth revisiting? What makes it still relevant? Mm -hmm. And the answer is the modern day. It's the things that we care about today that are meaningful to us that really drive us to say, oh, well, I'd like to have more information about that. I'd like to understand where that came from. And I think what our beautiful coffee table book, the, um, The Story of Disney, 100 Years of Wonder, does very well is that it says, okay, let's not tell the story from this linear point of view. Let's tell it from the perspective of what were the beats that were really important to Walt personally and professionally. Mm -hmm. And then how do you take each of those topics and tell all the different stories that fit within that and make connections between past and present. So something like an innovations chapter can begin with, okay, here are the ways in which Walt and his team really pushed the envelope in furthering different animation techniques to to make their filmmaking that much stronger, that much more efficient. Yeah. And and follow that lineage through today to something like stagecraft technology, which which is this mind-blowing technology by Industrial Light and Magic that um you know is behind the Mandalorian, something that really resonates with many of us. And, and to say that both are coming from this place of storytellers who want to care about their characters and showcase them in these in these really interesting ways that that connect with you the viewer um and and to make that connection through uh past and present in our our books is is truly one of my favorite things about them you talk about uh you know making all of this uh history relevant today in the ways that that you do that um what what is it about Disney? Because we said in 1923, uh, Disney's uh, first studios was, were fledgling. There was it was not certain that it was going to last to 1924. So what turned the corner, and what ultimately made Disney the success that he was, and that the company still is? Well, Walt, the person, never gave up on anything that he really believed in. Um, in. In our official Walt Disney quote book, one of my favorite quotes is, no man alone can do very much of consequence without the help of others. So he had these big visions, these big dreams, and he knew that to accomplish them, it wasn't going to be him alone that, that got it there. there. And there were obstacles that were going to be have to overcome. So what resources did he need to pull in? What specific people did he need to pull in who had very specific talents that could further, you know, get through those obstacles and, and, and get us down that path? What were the different technologies that needed to be invented to get us to that place where this dream was possible? And with every dream that he conquered and made happen, he never stopped there. He kept going to the next big dream. And that required more resources and more team and more innovation. And I think that the Walt Disney Company today is at its best when we have that foundation from Walt's top of mind and are, are going at all of our storytelling from that same perspective. 
obviously, as senior editor of Disney editions, and we talk about putting together this collection of books and and others that you have done, you are very well versed on all things Disney, no question. But were there new things that you learned or new facts that you discovered for the first time when you're researching uh, these uh, books to celebrate the first 100 years? I think visually the book that surprised me most was The Art of Coloring, um, which is the the Disney 100 Years of Wonder uh, companion to the coffee table book. So the Walt Disney Archives staff really took this on as a passion project and decided to to mine vintage coloring books, to to go into old press kits, all these sorts of different resources so that you get these 1920s final frames of an Alice comedy and then you get Treasure Island uh, artwork from a vintage press kit uh, all the way up into like modern day Pixar art. And to have that all again collated in a way that's under these storytelling beats that aligns with the coffee table book, it's a really special romp to go through visually the, the history of the company in, in both ways that are obvious and, and totally surprising. We mentioned this for the uh, 100th anniversary. This is uh, a collection of four titles, and they're all uh, different books. You mentioned the coffee table book, uh, the uh, coloring book. Uh, there's the book of quotes and then the uh, biography. Who are these books aimed at? I mean, who's the uh, audience for each one of these? Anyone who has an interest in Disney will find a beautiful entry point within these books. Um, and really that comes from a, a very conscious choice that we made to say, we didn't just want one author's voice to be the, the only voice here. We knew that there, that we have a, a beautiful creative team um, across the Walt Disney Archive staff that each brought their own expertise, their own passion and their own um, influences into this collection. So if you're somebody who really loves the movies, but not so much the parks, you will find entry points to that in, in all of these books and vice versa. Um, and even if it's just something where I just want to flip through it to see if anything catches my eye, yeah. I guarantee you, you will find that, especially in the coffee table book. It will just, it'll draw you in and you'll start reading and, and want to know more because the minute you start hearing a little bit of the story and the history, you're always curious to say, well, tell me more. <laughs> yeah. Um, in 2123, uh, will somebody be sitting here talking about the 200th anniversary of Disney? And can you even imagine what that might look like? I sure hope so. Because <laughs> at the end of the day, Disney is about storytelling and optimism. And I think humanity needs that for the long haul. Well, no question there. Again, Jennifer Eastwood is senior editor of Disney Editions with these new books uh, that are out to commemorate the 100th anniversary of the Walt Disney Company. Uh, where do we learn more about them and uh, pick up these books? So they're available wherever books are sold, and DisneyBooks.com is a great resource to find out a little bit more information. Jennifer, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you, you too. Well, they are some frightening headlines for anyone with asthma or allergies, especially seasonal allergies. We're coming up on the uh, spring season. A potential nationwide shortage of albuterol. So how concerned should patients with breathing difficulties be? Dr. Bill Coase, Blanchard Valley Health System, uh, joins us this morning. Apparently, uh, and this is the, the story that we heard over the uh, past week or so, apparently uh, albuterol was put on the shortage list, I guess, by the uh, CDC. I didn't know that there was a shortage list, but apparently they keep a shortage list. Yes, there is. You can Google, and it comes up. There's lots of medications that are shortage, but this has been one identified for past several months yeah back in october they put yes. this on and then uh within the past couple of weeks or so one of the main manufacturers of albuterol went bankrupt they closed a factory and so now there's this concern yes that's uh, exactly right and it's especially related to uh the administration that's not an inhaler so we give it through nebulizers it can be given in different uh, methods 
and primarily where the concern has been with kids. Children use this a lot when they come in with um, respiratory syncytial virus. A lot of albuterol was used during COVID in nebulizers where we'd have it in the hospital. So it's more of a hospital problem than the inhaler problem at least right now so that's uh where this originated and that was because that was going to be the the question is how did we get to the point where we had this shortage because so much of it was being used during covid and we had that outbreak of rsv and yes i mean it it has so yes so it's been used more that's part of it now i don't know the background as to why this company went Mm. bankrupt but they did and so the the manufacturing but as I said, we have lots of medications, especially generic medications. Albuterol is not an expensive medication that we have either on back order or are hard to find. Mm-hmm. This one, though, because it affects so many people, right. especially when you start talking about children mm-hmm. and asthma, it's really concerning to parents and coming into the emergency room, not being able to be treated. Well, and especially as we come into the spring season, so many people have spring allergies. For so we're sure. going to get into this uh, season where more people are going to be triggered. I know my wife uh, uses uh, an albuterol inhaler uh, for some occasional <clears throat> asthma uh, flare-ups, especially this time of year. So basically, that's the, the question. How concerned should people be? You say the uh, even though the headlines are, are pretty scary, there appears to be enough supply for the inhalers. Yes, well, that's what we're being told, uh, that the inhalers seem to be okay. Hospitals have modified, uh, I was reading about this, that they have taken inhalers and broken them down so they can use them in nebulizers. Hmm. Um, There's also other medications that you can try to use. Some of those are more expensive. Inhalers can be expensive to start with. Overall, there's not a panic right now because of either substitution. It's just with that company going out of business, what's it going to be long term? Mm -hmm. Now, the company that is making it has said they're working around the clock and they're making everything that they can. Um, But I guess we'll just have to see. Is this something and, you know, I I guess... I guess it makes sense in, in, in for any product that uh, some other company can come in. If if company A goes bankrupt, company B can come in and buy up all of their intellectual property and their patents or you know whatever they have and begin to manufacture uh, yeah. this. So somebody could theoretically get into the business of producing albuterol, but I would imagine that's not an easy. No, well, you, you've got quality control, and you you need the people and things when like you're that. Talking about medicine, and, and then you also got to make a profit. Right. And at the, the generic drugs don't have that margin of where is it worthwhile. I mean, we've got things that would hard to believe. we can't get. It's hard to get normal saline. That's just salt. But hmm. all of the and I don't want to say it's the regulations because you don't want things that aren't safe. But all the things that you got to go through to just dissolve salt and water and being able to put it in intravenously. Mm-hmm. A couple of the the big ones that have been a concern for about the same period of time is ampicillin, amoxicillin. That's just a standard penicillin drug. Mm. Uh, and this is even the oral part. A lot of these are intravenous and they're not there's not necessarily the big number of needs. Mm-hmm. So your economies of scale become a profit problem yes yeah. so i i guess and that's really what what we wanted to ask you about is kind of put these headlines into perspective because again you hear the headlines screaming albuterol shortage and you know that the allergy season is coming up you know you've got uh, literally millions of people who rely on the inhalers so how concerned should we be is it because i you know, we saw panic buying during the pandemic when you couldn't get toilet paper. Uh, Just uh, ready to use that as an analogy. Yeah. That's one of the you want to the, avoid that. The advice that is being given to the public is don't be buying as much as you can on a black market. Right. Or the toilet toilet paper would be the good example that we think that we're going to be okay from what production is and what's been used in the past, but it's not going to be there's not that big of a margin for 
if we don't have enough. So the other uh, analogy that you can use, the baby formula shortage that we went through uh, not all that long ago for a similar situation. Correct. Companies stopped producing it. Abbott stopped producing it for right. a time, created a shortage, and people were scrambling. Again, there was some panic buying going on, but there was a real shortage that people could not get baby formula. Could we end up in that kind of a situation with albuterol? Um, at least what the projections are right now, we don't think so. But uh, yeah, I think it's possible with with what's happening because I don't know that company is going to be able to really produce yeah. the amount that's needed. The solution for the baby formula shortage was to import from overseas. Is that a possibility? For- uh, from what I could read, there is no one that is manufacturing right mm-hmm. now. So it would be back to your point. It would be a startup or taking over the other business now whether the government will step in they've been looking into this the cdc is always looking at these shortages what can they do could they entice someone to do that Um, i think that's problematic the way our system works but that's a possibility so but the but the, the the shortage is not at an urgent level for consumers with the inhalers this no is, again, no and not and as, it, just checking around here it is not anything that anyone has seen as being a problem now on the other hand i w- w- i was talking to somebody because i knew i was going to be talking to you and they told me about another medication that they weren't able to get uh this is you know, uh, just a regular medication and i went and checked on that cdc list and it's not even listed as one mm. short supply so I suppose there could be pockets, but we're not hearing it here. Okay. Well, that is uh, certainly good news. And if we get into this situation where these are harder to find, what are the alternatives? If you can't get albuterol, what are the alternatives? Well, there are other drugs that are someone like that. That that is a bronchodilator. There's the leva albuterol Mm -hmm. that has been used. It's trouble is a little more expensive from what I understand. And then if we had uh, we could use steroids, inhalers of steroids. There are other things that can be used for asthma. We can certainly modify at the hospital for COVID, the, the nebulizers. We would use different medications. So we have some alternatives. Okay, so there are workarounds. Yes. Uh, as long as this doesn't get too widespread or Correct. too uh, deep. So certainly something to continue to watch. Uh, again, uh, Dr. Bill Coe's Blanchard Valley Health System with us this morning talking about these uh, rather frightening reports or concerning reports about a potential nationwide shortage of albuterol. Dr. Coe's, thanks very much for dropping by. We Thank you for uh, having me here. Now, the Good Mornings Community and Business Spotlight. Joined in the studio this morning by United Way Resource Development Director Kelly McClurkin. And every time we talk with the uh, folks of the United Way, we like to share a story of impact. Because so often people say, well, what do you do on a human level, on a one-to-one level to help folks in the community? And being that this is tax season, you've got one connected to that. We do. Our VITA tax program, which is Volunteer Income Tax Assistance, has been off and running now for um, over a month Mm -hmm. and we get a lot of great stories from that. We had a son uh, take his elderly mother um, to actually get his tax, her taxes done at a walk-in commercial tax preparer's office and they were told that she could expect about a thousand dollars in returns and upon cashing out she was only going to get $500 deposited into her bank account. Mm. Uh, So they actually remembered seeing a VITA sign at the public library and left that establishment, called us, set up an appointment, and we were able to to file her taxes for free, and she was able to then get get her full full return. Yes, which makes a big difference in people's lives. I know the first letter of uh, VITA stands for volunteer. It really should stand for vital because this is a vital service. That's a very good point. It is. Uh, but it does stand for volunteer, and that is just one of many ways that people can volunteer within the community. Yes. Like, for instance, it takes over 20 volunteers just to get this VITA program uh, going. And to this point, they have processed over 400 returns. And so we're keeping ex- busy. Yeah. We're expected to have like $2 million in earned income tax credits throughout all of this. Um, so you're right. We can't do it without volunteers. I think people consider volunteering um, when they think of nonprofits of 
cleanup, painting, yard work. Right. But people have professional skills that can be matched up for um, for projects as well. You actually do that when folks say, you know, how can I help? I want to volunteer. Yeah. How can I help? You've got a whole yeah. process for matching them up to those opportunities that they may be best suited for. Yes, they can go through what's called a SHAPE interview, and that's an acronym for skills, heart, ability, personality, and experience. And it really is just matching them up to what they're passionate about um, because they're going to, you know, want to do it you know, stick around a little longer yeah. uh, to volunteer and how to use their skills in the community. Yeah, maybe it is painting and yard work, but it, maybe that's it true. is but, uh, the VITA program and bringing $2 million into the community. Uh, that's a pretty tremendous incredible. way mm-hmm. to, uh, to volunteer. Um, speaking of volunteering, it's not just individuals. You work with, uh, with businesses. I know Spring Days of Caring are coming up, and that is a, a way that you interface with uh, businesses and industries in the community. We do a lot of businesses. Um, allow their staff to have volunteer hours during the work day. So that's what Days of Caring focuses on. And there's, I think last year, our Spring Days of Caring, well, we broke records with volunteers' numbers and volunteer labor hours uh, in 2022. Um, so, yeah, we had almost, I think, a 1,000 volunteers for just wow. Spring Days of Caring alone. That's terrific. So uh, all of these different ways of getting people involved uh, in their community. And, you know, the United Way is more, we talk about it all the time, it's more than about just fundraising uh, during the uh, annual campaign. Mm -hmm. Um, You do so many other things that really make the community a better place to live. That's true. Again, our volunteers are making such an impact um, year-round, not just with Days of Caring. You can, you know, Use it as a team building experience for a business. Um, and we keep talking business, but please know that families, parents, well, children, right. we're, we're really making it a little more all-inclusive. I was going to mention, if uh, somebody is interested in learning more about uh, volunteer opportunities, mm-hmm. uh, whether we're talking about through their business, uh, through uh, the uh, Days of Caring, or just as an individual yes. saying, you know, I want to do something to help, but I'm not sure where I can put my skills to best use, how do they get that process started? So you can certainly call our office or um, our website is uwhancock.org. We have a volunteer tab there um, and a volunteer director that helps guide through that process. And also on the individual side of things, students um, across the county need volunteer hours for, um, I believe, even graduation now. Some things have been changed, not just, you know, National Honor Society, that kind of thing. uh, Yes, it looks great on um, applications. So we do, um, you can get on our website and actually see a lot of help that's needed around the community for nonprofits and things. Um, And our volunteer director does a great job of letting you know if it's um, student-friendly or family-friendly or more um, geared in a different direction. And uh, folks can find that online where? What's the website? uwhancock.org. Again, uh, Resources Development Director Kelly McClurkin with us this morning from the United Way of Hancock County. Kelly, thanks very much for dropping by. Thank you for having us. The Community and Business Spotlight is a promotional advertisement paid for by the featured sponsor. You're listening to Good Mornings with Chris Oaks on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com and 95.5 FM. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. A woman is facing charges in Memphis, Tennessee after police say she beat her boyfriend with a hammer. Now, he's going to be okay. He was taken to the hospital. He's recovering from his uh, his injuries. He was able to uh, escape. Uh, but officers took Michelle Baptist into custody uh, earlier this month. They say she was angry. <laughs> that's, that was what the report said. She was angry with her uh, boyfriend, and that's why she attacked him with a hammer. Doesn't say what she was angry about. Uh, But it does point out that the victim is recovering. He's expected to uh, be fine. Uh, But I would imagine he's looking for a new girlfriend now. (laughs) Wow. Man, oh, man. (laughs) Uh, This is from Kentucky uh, in uh, Louisville, uh, Kentucky. Leroy Littles Sr. was on the first day of his new job. As the principal of Olmstead Academy North in Louisville, he started work on Monday. First day, the school put a sign out in front. 
thing welcome, Principal Littles? However, <laughs> he was taken into custody over a domestic violence incident back in December. His first day on the job. <laughs> what do they say? You never get a second chance to make a first impression. And this was not a good one. He was served an arrest warrant at the school for fourth degree assault and third degree threatening. Police report obtained by local news outlets said uh, Mr. Littles had arrived at his girlfriend's home back in December and observed her leaving the home with an ex-boyfriend. Oh, boy. As uh, Mr. Littles uh, confronted both her and the boyfriend, apparently he said something, and that set Mr. Littles off, and uh, the two got into an altercation. The ex-boyfriend had injuries to his face and head uh, when police officers arrived at the scene uh, responding to the, uh, to the fight. Uh, Mr. Littles had uh, had taken off. <laughs> they, they caught up with him on day number one of his new job as principal of the school. <laughs> his first day and maybe his last day as principal of the school. Uh, that's unfortunate timing there for uh, Mr. Littles. Uh, also in the broken news, speaking of uh, of dumb criminals, a carjacker. In Memphis, Tennessee. This is another story out of Memphis. That's two out of the first three from Memphis, Tennessee. What is going on? Carjacker in Memphis had a bit of a rough time trying to steal the car that he had targeted. Basically, all he managed to do was get a few feet. He never even made it out of the driveway, basically. He never even made it out of the driveway. The The man, this is the report, the man held a uh, 22-year-old at gunpoint demanding his car and his money. The victim, who is unidentified, surrendered his car, a 2006 Honda Element, and then watched helplessly as the thief backed down the driveway straight into a utility pole. (laughs) Straight into utility pole. Um, It was at that point, apparently, that the victim realized that the gun that the carjacker was holding was a fake. And so he ran to the end of the driveway and punched the guy through the open window. At that point, (laughs) the thief decided he'd had enough. He uh, jumped out and fled on foot. Um, (laughs) The uh, victim said the car is fine, aside from a big scrape on the back bumper. Uh, the carjacker did manage to get away with the victim's phone, but that, that too was eventually recovered in a dumpster. Uh, police lifted prints off of it. So they have a pretty good idea of who they're looking for. (laughs) Never even made it out of the driveway. (laughs) That's that's unfortunate there. Some people just aren't cut out for a life of crime. Uh, let's see. We have a follow-up to a story that we had yesterday in the broken news. Remember the story about Eamon Halim, who filed a lawsuit against Buffalo Wild Wings, claiming that the chain's boneless wings are actually chicken nuggets. Um, Buffalo Wild Wings has now uh, responded via social media, (laughs) saying it's true. Our boneless wings are not actually wings. Also, our hamburgers contain no ham, and our buffalo wings are 0% buffalo. (laughs) So, I just don't think they're taking this seriously. The court has dismissed the lawsuit, uh, but uh, Mr. Halim has until the end of this month to file an amended complaint. So, stay tuned. (laughs) They're admitting their deception! Uh, Speaking of uh, lawsuits, a gambler in uh, London is trying to get out of paying his debt to a casino uh, there in uh, in London because he claims that the casino got him too drunk to know what he was doing. (laughs) The casino casino got him drunk. They uh, hyped him up on all of these uh, free drinks, got him too drunk to know what he was doing. Well, duh, isn't that what 
Have you ever been to a casino? First time in, in a casino? Do you not know how this works? Um, Lester Hui is his name. He lost, get this, $717,000 at a London casino, casino back in 2016. He initially paid his debt with a personal check, which, surprise, surprise, bounced. Uh, he now argues he should not have to pay at all because casino staff plied him with strong liquor and encouraged him to continue gambling. Is this your first time in a casino? Really? <laughs> he claims that he told the staff to cut him off at around $35,000. That was his limit. Which is, uh, that's just eye-popping. I can't imagine dropping thirty-five k at a casino. But 700 large is something else. The casino says they were never told to cut him off. And lawyers representing the casino say Mr. Hui was sober enough to make his own decisions. They're not claiming that he, they're not claiming that he was fully sober. He was sober enough. <laughs> we'll see where that lawsuit goes. And finally, in the broken news this morning, firefighters in Kentucky. Uh, were called to rescue a dog stranded on a cliff, ended up rescuing the Good Samaritan who became trapped while trying to rescue the dog himself. Uh, according to report, uh, emergency management services responded to a call of a dog in need on Monday. When the team arrived, they found uh, th- they found a man also trapped who had tried to rescue the dog himself. A, a ladder truck was used to bring the dog and the... Well, the ladder truck was used to try and bring the dog and the would-be rescuer down. The pup refused to come to rope rescue technicians and decided to slide down instead. Uh, luckily, both dog and director were unharmed. The dog and the uh, rescuer were unharmed. Um, the uh, time and resources committed to rescuing the would-be rescuer delayed help for the dog, according to the uh, uh, Emergency Management Services Agency. This is why it is so important to wait on rescuers who are properly trained and equipped. By the way, the would-be rescuer who got trapped himself (laughs) was Lawrence County's emergency management director. (laughs) You would think he would know better than to, but at least everybody is okay and the story has a happy ending. Lesson learned, I guess. There you go. That is today's broken news report. Uh, This update on the odd and unusual side of the headlines uh, brought to you as a public service, more or less. And we now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Finley's Andy Ritz on becoming a Finley Rotarian. After 35 years working as a pediatrician in Finley, I wanted to give back to the community, but not at my job, but as a service that would reach many people. The best way to do this was for me to join Finley Rotary, and that's what I did in February of 2022. To become part of an organization that brings together business, professional leaders to provide community service and advance goodwill, Contact Findlay Rotary at FindlayRotary.org and click on join. This message provided by WFIN. Time now for your daily download, the numbers behind the news, the statistics that shape our lives. According to a recent nationwide survey by the uh, consulting firm Customer Care uh, Management or Customer Care Measurement uh, consulting firm on uh, how businesses... uh, service their customers and customer care. Uh, this report or this uh, survey says that uh, consumers are increasingly dissatisfied with a level of assistance provided by customer service departments. Now, that's probably not a big surprise. That's been a point of contention for consumers for a long time. But some of the details here are rather uh, eyebrow-raising. The 2022 National Customer Rage Survey revealed that Americans are experiencing more issues with various products and services, and their anger toward the company providing them is escalating. The level of anger. The survey found that consumers are becoming more hostile toward customer service representatives. One in ten in the survey have expressed a desire for revenge against a customer service representative um, by harassing, insult, insulting, or even threatening people. One in ten. Admit it. 
One in ten admit it in the survey that they uh, have a desire for revenge, even threatening employees. Scott Bretzman, the president and CEO of Customer Care Measurement and Consulting, described the findings as horrifying. Of the 1,000 people who were surveyed, 74% claimed to have had an issue with a product or service last year, as up from 66% in 2020, which was the last edition of the same survey. Of those, 63% said that they felt some sort of customer rage during attempts to resolve the issue, whatever the issue was. Uh, That is the same rage percentage observed in the 2020 edition, albeit one that now represents a larger number of uh, infuriated customers. So that number is growing, even though the percentage is staying the same. 43% of people raised their voice to a company rep in the past year. That's up from 35% the last time the question was asked in 2017. And I have to admit, I am probably guilty of that from time to time, raising uh, my voice. And uh, But I always try to apologize uh, for it. You know, it just gets under your skin, but then you kind of calm down. Not everybody calms down, though. 17% say that they have acted uncivilly toward a company, not because of a service or a product, but because of a perceived difference in beliefs or values think mask mandates that is a trigger for 17 percent and while 52 percent of those in the survey say that they have gotten something that they have gotten something for all of their ranting and raving nearly half get nothing so it doesn't end up benefiting you at all what's that old uh, saying you attract more flies with honey than vinegar sometimes i have to keep that in the back of my mind when i call customer service line i did that just this week as a matter of fact and i got a little frustrated Uh, It is frustrating for consumers, but it is also costly for companies. The survey noted more than $887 billion worth of revenue is at risk due to ineffective complaint handling. So frustrating for consumers, but uh, costly for companies. $887 billion in revenue lost to ineffective complaint handling. Um, Just something to... It serves as a reminder, check your emotions at the door when you are interfacing with uh, customer service representatives. I've said it before, there are certain things that are sure signs that spring is coming. I mean, you've got St. Patrick's Day, of course, and I mentioned before when the Girl Scout cookies start to show up, you know that spring is coming. You know the other thing? Bowling for Kids. You know, when Bowling for Kids comes, spring is here. Uh, Suzanne Crouch from uh, Children's Mentoring Connection uh, is here along with Nikki Gray, who's the co-chair for the uh, Bowling for Kids event uh, this year. So thank you for uh, dropping by as well. Uh, Date is actually coming up uh, in late April, so uh, end of next month. But you said the uh, shifts are filling up pretty quickly this year. Yes, it's our 40th annual. 40th? 40th. 40th. Yeah, 4-0. Like... (laughs) <laughs> that is huge, um, a monumental um, event for us. But our 40th annual Bowling for Kids will be April 22nd and 23rd. Okay. And we are filling up quickly. We have three shifts each day, um, 11 a.m., 1 p.m., and 3 p.m. that you can sign up to bowl. Um, so if you haven't gotten your team registration in, I encourage you to do it soon. <laughs> so uh, a lot of folks signing up, there are certain shifts that are more popular than others right right we have 11 o'clock on saturday seems to be filling up quite quickly okay and then one o'clock on sunday so so especially if you want those shifts sign uh, your team up sooner rather than later you want to get on this um and can you pick a a shift yes as long as there's room yes that is correct okay uh what is the process to sign up so the best way to sign up is you can go right to our website, cmchancock.org mm-hmm. slash events. Um, and um, there's a link right there to go to the bowling website. Um, you can call the office at 419-424-9752. Um, or you can email me 
Um, it's Suzanne, S-U-Z-A-N-N-E, at cmchancock.org, and I'd be happy to walk you through that process. Okay. Uh, is there a registration fee uh, for the, the teams? I know, again, it's a fundraiser. I mean, obviously, sure. you, you know, want to raise funds for the Children's Mentoring Connection. So how does that work? So there is no registration fee per se, but mm-hmm. we expect um, all the bowling teams consist of five people. We expect each team to bring in $250. Okay, that's the goal. That's yeah, that's the, the goal. That's the target. So it's like 50 bucks per bowler. Our pledge sheets come out um, next week. So um, there's already teams raising money. And by the way, when we say teams, a lot of times it's workplace. Uh, you know, uh, you get some folks from work and the you know workplace sponsors a team, what have you. Uh, but it can be anything. It doesn't have to be a sure. business. Yeah. Yes. It can be anybody. Um, Girl Scouts, Boy Scouts, um, teams of teenagers whoever wants yeah. to <laughs> I, I know uh, a couple of years ago uh my wife and i and got some friends together and we put a team together it's mm-hmm. just you know a bunch of us said why not what the heck let's go and, and do this and i think we actually paid the 50 bucks ourselves so we right. didn't have to, you know um but have it, some fun and have a good and support a good cause exactly and it is a uh, good cause talk a little bit about the uh, cmc and for those who are not familiar with what you do sure so all the proceeds um from bowling go to benefit um um, Children's Mentoring Connection of Hancock County. Um, we do programming for kids age 6 through 14 that just needed a little bit of extra support in their life, mm-hmm. um, whether that's through a community partnership um, with a one-on-one mentor, uh, through our school-based program, which is such a great um, thing for us and for the kiddos. We go into the schools and do programming with them. Um, or, you know, we do have some kids on our waiting list. So this is a great opportunity for us to recruit, um, sure. perhaps some more mentors. So, yeah. um, all of the funds stay within our organization and help benefit those. And, uh, the, how much of, uh, how big of a fundraiser is that? I want to emphasize how important this is to what you do, what you are able to do. So this is one of our two biggest fundraisers. Mm-hmm. We have two big fundraisers a year, um, and the spring is, you know, bowling, and then in the fall is uncorked and unplugged. Um, but this, between the two of them, make up half of our operating budget. So we, you know, without these, yeah. um, pro- without these fundraisers, we can't run our programs. Yeah. So it is vital for us. And uh, how many? I don't mean to put you on the spot here with a specific number. Maybe sure. you don't. Uh, maybe you have it. Maybe you don't. How many kids are we talking about that we touch? We touch a lot of kids, especially through the school-based program, because mm-hmm. like at Van Buren, we have nearly 50 kids that we're serving yeah. every, every week, yeah. um, you know, and then we're in seven different schools. So, you know, you times that. So plus, just, yeah, that's just, just the school-based That's just the school-based. To say nothing of the individuals, right. the family mentors, and, you know, all of those kids, and the kids on the waiting list right. besides. Right. So. so we, I mean, we touch, you know, hundreds of kids. Yeah. So we need... We need these funds to be able to support them. A huge impact. Yes. Now, uh, I know in, in years past, if bowling, I can hear some folks say, well, bowling is not my thing. It's a great thing. Bowling is not my thing. Well, first of all, it's not about the bowling. No, no. it's not about the bowling. <laughs> I'm terrible. So, come on Saturday. I'm bowling and it's not going to look great. <laughs> do they put the bumpers out for the, like the, uh, absolutely. the kids? I mean, they can, they can do absolutely. that for you if you absolutely uh, don't want to be uh, too embarrassed. Although, uh, anyway. Um, but if bowling is absolutely not your thing, I know in the, in the past, you've done other things as well say you know you can do cornhole or you can do yes. you know whatever so, so we still have those options although you know our big push is to be back in person sure. with bowling right um but we still have a couple t- um organizations that are doing a cornhole tournament on their own at, sure. as a team building thing for their yeah, office cool. um and still raising money for us and we appreciate that under the bowling for kids under the bowling umbrella. for kids umbrella yeah um disc golf is still an option okay um so there's there's still some other things out there that's all on the bowling website you can sign up if you don't want to do in-person bowling um you can do lawn bowling if you want <laughs> we have sets for you that you can check out so, so there's all options. kinds of uh, of ways, or if the shift that you want, or maybe the only shift that you can do is filled, mm-hmm. you can do something else. And or call know, me just... and let me let me help you. Yeah, yes, <laughs> we'll figure it out. Figure something out. Yes. If you want to raise some money for a children's mentoring connection, then uh, absolutely they will uh, accommodate. But again, it's coming up late April, but now is the time to uh, get the team signed up. Yes. Yep. Okay. Uh, and it's five per. Again, it could be just about anybody. Yep. Yeah, we do have some teams that have six on their team, but um, usually it's five 
Five people per and, and it's and again, this is not an all day thing. I mean, for you guys, it's an all day. Thing. Yes. Um, but, uh, you know, the the shifts are what, a couple hours long? About an hour, about an uh, hour, hour 20. Yeah. Yeah. Somewhere in that. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's a quick in and out mm-hmm. uh, thing. So uh, it's a great way to get together with some friends or coworkers and a. Uh, Saturday or Sunday afternoon and, and have a good time. Uh, if folks do want to learn more about the mentoring options, yes. um, how do they get that process started? What does that look like? Yeah, they can eat, um, They can go to our website, um, cmchancock.org. They can call our office, 419-424-9752, or email us. I mean, info at cmchancock.org. Um, we'd be happy to supply whatever information, answer any questions, meet with them one-on-one, whatever's easiest for them. Um, and we'll also have information, obviously, at the event okay. um, to um, recruit more mentors. It is a, uh, there is a tremendous need. Again, as yes. you were saying, always kids on the waiting list. So always. So never have too many uh, mentors. Again, it is uh, Bowling for Kids to support the Children's Mentoring Connection coming up later this month. Suzanne Crouch from CMC and uh, Nikki Gray with the Bowling for Kids uh, Committee. Thanks very much for uh, dropping by. Thank you. And that will finish up our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. And of course, remind you once again, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each and every day on the program at our webpage. That is goodmornings.net. You can also connect with us on social media, sign up for our daily email newsletter and more. And goodmornings.net is our little corner of the World Wide Web. We're going to take a few days off, uh, a little R&R. St. Patrick's Day and the first day of spring seemed as good a reason as any to uh, take a, a few days uh, break. The next new podcast will be next Thursday, not tomorrow, a week from tomorrow. So until next week, that is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day, great weekend. Catch you back here, middle part of next week.